That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. Well, well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm. Doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth, and I am drinking a coffee the size of my head at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so that should tell you all how it's going in this part of the world. But that I aside... two monsters today. Oh my god, guys, we are doing very good. But tonight, we are talking... Well, this week, not tonight. You know what? I don't know what I'm even fucking talking about. But this week, <laughs> we are talking about a 70s slasher that didn't exist in its documentary. An intense, intense, intense heist film. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi found footage. A shockingly interesting movie about running around a pond. And a Cronenberg adaptation. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, boy. We watch too much content. Like, can I just say, I consume so much content. I was looking at my letterbox and I've already watched over a hundred movies this year. And I was like, that's repulsive. And I know that that's like probably rookie numbers for some people. But for me, that is repulsive. 16,000 for the year? That's not possible. You mean like just in general? Yeah, oh, total. total. Okay. I was yeah. like, Jesus Christ, 16,000? Oh, you're beating. How I mean, many did you a- say this year? How many did you say? Over 100. I'm at 97 only. What is. I am slacking, apparently. <laughs> but it just. It always makes me laugh because my. Like, all of my friends that aren't film people are like, I've watched one movie in mm-hmm. six months. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. I watched four movies the other day. <laughs> I watched four. <laughs> 
<laughs> seriously. Good lord. Oh man. Um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 116 this year. Okay. Yeah, I need. Ugh, I need to step my pussy up. Apparently. <laughs> step your pussy up. <laughs> anyway, speaking of pussies. <laughs> I need to go to jail. I need to go to jail. (laughs) I think someone needs to put me in prison. 70 slasher that didn't exist. I don't know. That's not necessarily a connection, but we got there by sheer force of will. Mm. Sometimes that's that's all we all we have. (laughs) I'm not well. (laughs) Okay, so this is a a panic fest movie. Two movies. They don't have anything to do with pussies. Yeah, well, I tried. (laughs) You know, we can. Did I? I didn't at all. <laughs> so anyway. okay, there has been like a trend um, in festival features. Like this is the second time I've seen this in like the last year where someone has made a movie that did not exist and it's basically like a pastiche of a time period movie. And the last time we saw it was, um, boy, I can't remember what the title is. The last Saturday, the third, in, o- the third or, Saturday in October, the third Saturday in October, parts one, I think, and five. I think we're mm-hmm. we're that one. Yeah. And so this this movie it's called so the first movie is called End Zone 2. The people that created it are um cheeky enough that they actually have created an IMDb page for this fictitious movie. Well, it now exists as a movie, but a fictitious movie in 1970s. So there's a IMDb page for this movie as if it is from the 70s. And there is the first movie that it's I think it was in what 65 maybe. Yeah, 65. So there's IMDb pages with fake actors in it. And those actors are... So there's like an actor that's playing that actor that is playing (laughs) the character role in these movies. It's it starts off like I, I you know I what I do like about this beginning of this movie is that it kind of feels like you know how we have so many boutique DVD companies now Vinegar Syndrome Severin Cauldron Films all these places that are doing restorations of movies that maybe five people have seen it's presented yeah. as as this as this like movie End Zone Two that maybe half a dozen people have seen and it has like this opening text about how it was restored from film stock of both the American and the Italian version of the film because there's no complete thing. They talk, they make a big deal about how the last 30 minutes of the movie is missing. It was presumed destroyed and they don't have it. So they're kind of giving us some like recreation of this, this movie from the camera footage that they could find. And so it plays like that. It's just basically, it's a standard slasher that's done in basically an hour as opposed to an hour and a half. So it's very heightened and it's all about like being the second movie in a, in a cycle. So like the final girl from the first movie is now living with trauma and mm-hmm. it's like 15 minutes or 15 minutes, 15 years later. And there's a party going on and there's like weird things happening. And it's sort of like doing Jason before Jason, where the first killer in the first movie was the mom of Smash Mouth, this football player who ends up getting beaten by the football players. And so she kills the football team and blends them up in a smoothie and feeds it to smash mouth like that's that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with here and it's decent i kind of wish it leaned a little bit more into it being like a recreation or like a you know um um, a restoration of that film like there's they talk about they make a big deal about there being like italian parts and you can see sort of like differences in in the film stock as we move between scenes but, like, I was like, ooh, are they going to be, like, all of a sudden we're going to have, like, Italian dubs? You know what I mean? 
Like I'm thinking, oh God, Tony, now here's All Star. I hate that song. I hate that song so fucking much. That's what I like to do. All Just right. Murder fun. No fun. I'm sure they do, Tony. I'm sure they do play it at work. Because, like, that is a song that I feel like you just can never escape. And I hate it. I hate it so much. God damn it, Shrek. Anyway. yeah. How dare so you? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Take that back. Take that back right this instant. How dare you? First of all, how dare you? <laughs> I'm being attacked. What are you doing in the mass swamp? Anywho? So, that's a nice rock. <laughs> boulder. boulder. Boulder? Yeah. Boulder. Yeah, that's a nice boulder. Get it together. I can't. Hater. Hater! Let me just take a sip of my haterade. Good lord. This is out of control. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, okay, so there's that. And it cuts off. It's It feels like a full movie. And it cuts off. And t- it turns out that in the last 30 minutes of this movie, the killer or the person that played Smash was replaced by a different actor. Mm-hmm. But all of the stuff that he was in has been destroyed. So there's another movie that is attached to this one. It's a double feature called The Once and Future Smash. And it takes place in today's time at a monster convention. And they are doing, as as we know with horror movie fans, even, even though there may be like six of you out there for a movie... We're going to have like people show up for this this very niche movie, and so they they bring both people that played Smash Mouth, the one that played it in the movie that we have, and the one that um, got cut out. And so it follows sort of like this convention circuit of both Smashes, one played by the Greasy Strangler guy, um, the guy that played the Greasy Strangler. I cannot think of what his name is. Michael St. Michaels. Ugh. I just the fucking phrase "greasy strangler" makes me want to pull off my face. It makes me want to remove the flesh from my face. Makes you want to do like a poltergeist moment. Yes, just like pull. It just makes. Uh, ew. Okay, sorry. I just. God, just like, I think it's just the words, the words, all of it. I don't even know anyway. where to go from there. Um, but yeah. Oh, I looked up pictures. Oh, I looked up pictures. Why did I do that? I knew. I oh. that. But it has, so like the documentary has a lot of like in jokes. So Victor Miller um, is quite hilarious in this. Victor Miller, of course, is um, the writer, but he wrote Friday the 13th, which is what this movie kind of plays off of no he did not direct it i'm a bad friday the 13th fan but he wrote it uh so like it has him in it talking like he's perched next to like awards and he is talking about this movie and how it was so influential um adam marcus who did um freddy's dead or freddy's dead oh my god jason goes to hell then there's like todd farmer who wrote uh jason x and so there's all these like genre people that like fans of of these movies will will recognize and they're all talking about how important this movie is that no one has seen that again does not exist and so it's sort of like about the fighting between these two smash mouth actors who want their moment to shine and played together it it works um i think the the documentary could have been a lot shorter <laughs> i wish it was like maybe a 40 or 50 minute thing as opposed to okay. almost an hour and a half um, cause I think the, it's trying to go for Christopher Guest and I don't think it quite nails that with oh, enough. Oh, okay. 
So like I kind of wish it was just more of a an end cap to this movie as opposed to a whole other movie. But it was entertaining. I like what it was doing. Cool. I think this would be fun to see in a movie theater or fun to see with like a bunch of genre fans. But that was the long-winded explanation about End Zone 2. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I I love I love the idea, but it's like so hard to talk about mm-hmm. them without it being like a million years long. Mm-hmm. Like it, this is so silly, but like in writing about them online, like when I'm like writing online, Jesus Christ, like when I'm writing articles like on Dread Central, it's just like, how the fuck do I like succinctly <laughs> explain this in a headline? It's just like, and again, like, it's, you know, I don't care. If they'll make, like, it doesn't matter in the long run. It's just funny about like, it is, the lore is cool. But trying to distill that information is much more challenging. It than really is. It is for just one movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it is kind of like a lot to ask. And if you kind of think about it, like, all right, so I'm going to have to ask you to watch these two movies back to back for it to make any uh-huh. sense. And it's <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you could not watch the one. I mean, I guess you could watch the Once in Future Smash without watching that first movie. But you would not pick up on a lot of the things that it's doing. Yeah. And it's so it has to be played together. And I I do wish maybe they had found a way to, like, make it one movie. But it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. Uh, So what's this sci-fi found footage movie? So this is the sci-fi found footage film from Panic Fest called Blue Hour. Okay, I didn't realize it was found footage. Blue Hour, the disappearance of Nick Brandreth is, like, the full title. But it is essentially, like, a pseudo-documentary in the style of, you know... Horror in the High Desert kind of thing, okay. where it's it's kind of taking those um, techniques we see in like true crime shows, and it's a true crime documentary filmmaker is trying to document, is trying to find her dad. Her dad disappeared when she was a kid in the woods. Um, no one knows where he went, but they ruled it a suicide because there was a shell casing on the ground, and they just assumed that he died with no body. Mm-hmm. And so she is convinced that there's like more to the story. And so when she starts investigating, she um, talks to a friend of his, a, a guy who would develop photos for her dad. And he shows her these photos their dad, her dad took in the nearby woods of guys in black robes in the woods and seemingly random doorways just in the forest that oh. these guys are protected or standing guard around whatever so of course from there she decides i'm gonna go in the woods and find these doors as one does as you do and it is essentially this really fascinating true crime-esque story that is not always successful i think it's kind of a rocky execution i think the acting when they're doing like the interviews with family is like so like overacted like it doesn't feel like an interview it feels like someone is acting out an interview so it's just like very awkward and takes you out of it but when they're doing like the you know handheld camera in the woods stuff it feels more natural so it's a good it's weird the performances are pretty uneven but it's um the director dan bowers he did the visual effects for smile oh um or was one of the visual effects artists for smile and so the visual effects in this are, like, are decent. I mean, it's a low-budget indie movie. Like, even if you are a visual effects artist, like, you're not going to, you know, always be able to get, give the best stuff. But there's some interesting stuff going on here with, like, dimensional stuff and 
time travel. And, like, even if it's not the most, like, technically, you know, it's, like, not the most successful movie, but it takes, like, a lot of risks that you don't see in found footage with, like, sci-fi especially. And so it's cool to see a, like, a lower, a lo-fi take on sci-fi via found footage without worrying about, like, aliens or a creature and, like, playing with that, like, that kind of thing. So that's Blue Hour. Uh, I saw it at Panic Fest. I don't know the future of it, but it was pretty interesting. Um, cool. Again, like I said, it's not perfect, but it just is really sm- it, it What it wants to do is really smart. And I think if that director had more re- like some more resources, he could make something super cool. So I think it just needs I think that it's the kind of movie that needs a shout out and will find its audience, I think, especially just like if they appreciate what it's trying to do versus like how well it fully achieves it. I'll have to add that yeah. one to my list. I haven't gotten to that one yet. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure if how, how you would feel about it, but... But <laughs> I think I know what this is, but an intense heist film. Yeah, so this is one what we is both it? have seen. Uh, mm-hmm. It is How to Blow Up a Pipeline, directed by uh, Daniel Goldhaber. Goldhaber? He, of course, is also the director of Cam, which was written by Issa Mazay, former guest of the show. And she is an executive producer on it. And it is basically, um, I mean, distilled to its basic premise, which the movie does a lot of distilling things down to, like, the most essential parts of the of, a, of being a, a thriller, is about a crew of disparate uh, environmental activists who decide they're going to blow up a pipeline in Texas because... Well, for different reasons for them. And so what it does is it kind of gets, it shows like this really cool intro of introducing all these people um, in media res almost. And then it uh, kind of cuts to them all getting together and they've had this plan. And we start to like have little bits of flashbacks for each character to sort of explain how each person got to be here. And it takes a lot of... um, I would say it's a, it's actually kind of a subversive film on the on well it's definitely a subversive film on what it's tackling but the way it's the way it uses um the heist film it does it in a very subversive way that had me going okay so when is x going to happen and then x does yeah. happen but then there's another wrinkle on top of x happening so there's like a lot of things that it plays with so that if you've seen a lot of crime thrillers a lot of um these type of uh heist type films where you kind of know what to expect it plays with that a bit and i think it's so lean it's so efficient it's so intense as we get to like the final act of it uh that i think it is an immense movie to watch i i will say that i i was a little i was a little let down with the way it ended it ends very abruptly for me and it raises a lot of questions throughout and then it doesn't ever really tackle those questions so i think that like from that kind of perspective it's a little hit or miss but in terms of creating um this very incendiary narrative and keeping your attention the entire time it is completely successful that's how i felt what'd you think about it mary beth i mean i loved it i've heard i had heard amazing things about it and i you know, I was excited to see something that is like so boldly taking a stance about the environment and but not just the environment, but about like political movements and anarchy and what it means to like really try to enforce change and the radical kind of acts 
of violence that are necessary to kind of stop, like, you know, stop the destruction of the planet and to stop these really horrendous, horrendous systems. And I think what's really interesting is that this is kind of like the most mainstream way you could do it. And I know that like, which is like, I know that again, that sounds silly, but like he, it's the, so it's based on a book that's actually like, I'm pretty sure it is like not, it's a nonfiction book. Hold on. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a nonfiction book where it's basically the, the um, author Andreas Malm talks about, it's basically they're criticizing the way that people are trying to do climate activism and how, and like why sabotage is necessary. This movie basically takes like the conceit of the book, which is nonfiction and makes it into the heist movie. And I think that with it being a heist movie, it makes it kind of digestible. Mm -hmm. And I think, but I think that's a good thing. I'm not criticizing that. And I think that it, it, like, and I think like my biggest criticism is also the end and how the way it ties up. Mm -hmm. But I think regardless like it is incredible that this kind of movie that is very much encouraging environmental terrorism um fuck yeah is like getting so much attention because it's, it's like it feels like a horror movie it feel like the the score you can tell that gold Haber obviously comes from horror because of the way the score and the tension builds up and like obviously these kinds of heist movies are tense but i just think that the way that every like all of the elements come together feel very horror-ish mm. and like yeah. The action sequences and so i wasn't surprised but i was still incredibly impressed with it and it's like if anyone sees one movie this year i think that's probably going to be the movie to see in my opinion that or hosera but if you don't like horror movies this is a good one yeah what a great cast too by the way uh lucas a lot of yeah. people we've seen in in genre lucas gage is in it sasha lane who was in um daniel isn't real she's in it um jake weary who was in It Follows as well as Zombie Beavers is in it. A lot of character actors from the, the horror sphere in the film. And I think that's... What's next? Oh, a shockingly interesting movie about running around a pond? So this is another Panic Fest movie. This is Brightwood, which is another sci-fi... It's another sci-fi, like, time travel movie. So I did not mean to talk about two very similar movies, but that's kind of just how the cookie crumbled today. I was intrigued by the premise, which is literally a couple goes jogging around a pond and then they get stuck jogging around that pond and they can't escape. And I was like, all right, like this could, this could go one of two ways. Mm. Um, this could just be really boring or it could As be As Tony really says, a literal nightmare. It could Yeah, be. a literal nightmare. And this couple is a literal nightmare. They hate each other so much. They're fighting the whole time. And... At the beginning of the movie, it's kind of like, oh my god, I'm so fucking sick of these people. Like, they need to shut up and, like, just walk into the pond. Like, just walk <laughs> into the pond, please. I beg of you. But as the movie progresses, it gets more and more interesting in how it tackles, like, time loops and paradoxes. Okay. I don't want to spoil it, right. but it was gross. Oh. And I wish it okay. had done more of that because the last like 20 minutes are really really good and that's like frustrating for a lot of reasons when you're like come on guys because it's 80 minutes long so it's not a long movie it could have been shorter probably or they could have it, at first i was like if this could be shorter but then i thought well you could just 
be grosser. Like, think Coco... Did you see Coco de Coco da? Mm-hmm. So it has, like, those vibes, okay. but not as not as bleak. And okay. it is bleak, but, like, not the whole time. And I wish that it had been even more bleak. And yes, that might just be me. But I think, like, there's some really dark shit going on in Brightwood that I just think they could have done even more of. Um, but I was actually really surprised when it ended, ended. I was like, all right, like, that was actually quite surprising. Like, yes, this is a, probably a movie that was made for very little money, like, in a local park. But it was good. Like, I was quite surprised. So... That is Brightwood. It's pro- it will probably get picked up by like a smaller company, and I bet it'll get like a little bit of a following. But you know, I think it's definitely not what I expected, and I love that about film festivals when a movie can surprise me. I mean, that's one thing I really do like about Panic Fest is that you're going to see movies here. You're going to see um, festival movies that it, that have probably come on different festivals or will be making a festival run, and then you're going to see these little weird things that. Um, you might not ever see again or like it's it's something that you won't see anywhere else and i think bright i think is it brightwood is that what it's called yeah i think it's i think that one has hit a couple different festivals up to this point because it's gonna be in salem okay because that name just keeps like ringing a bell with me or the premise keeps ringing a bell with me um yeah but like this is the kind of stuff that i do like about panic fest is these little weird movies about people getting stuck around a pond or something like it, they always have those types of, of films and i appreciate that yeah exactly so i mean i i wanted to bring it up to give it a little bit of love because i hadn't really heard anyone talking about it so we'll see yeah. what its future looks like and then let's i guess let's finally end on something we both have seen as well uh what's this cronenbergian or, yeah, Cronenberg adaptation, not Cronenbergian. It is literally an adaptation of Cronenberg. Yes, this is the uh, Dead Ringers adaptation on Prime Video, which is out now as of the publication of this episode. Um, Can I just Friday. say how exciting it is that we've had From and now Dead Ringers? Like, horror TV and Yellow Jackets is going on at the same time. TV, horror TV is, is killing it right now. It sure fucking is, which is great. And Servant just ended. Got to oh, throw yeah. that in there. Hell's Paradise, new anime. Very good. Very creepy. Haven't talked about that on the show yet. Next week. All right. Anyway, Dead Ringers. This is too, many, too much content. <laughs> too much content. But so um, Dead Ringers is, the, is a show written by Alice Birch, which is based on the David Cronenberg film of the same name from 1988 which is about the Mantle Twins, twin gynecologists who are in the movie obsessed with female anatomy and the idea of mutant. Have you seen this one yet, Terry? I'm nope. so sorry. I can't I fucking sure have remember not. Your, I have not where gotten, you are at. It's really kind of funny to me that I have now seen this adaptation. Most of it. I haven't finished it. Most of this adaptation mm. of a movie that I have never seen <laughs> because we haven't gotten to it yet. But so... The twins in the in the movie are played by Jeremy Irons, and in this series, which is six episodes, the Mantle Twins are played by Rachel Weisz, the queen of my heart and soul. And here we'll listen to our we mummy, have the Mummy episode. Oh, I got to interview her, and I was like, "Be I know, I saw. I'm like, holy. Don't cow. call her Mummy. <laughs> be an adult. And I was. Um, <laughs> but in the sh- in the show, we follow the Mantle twins 
as they are trying, but instead of like being obsessed with mutant v- female genitalia, they are more interested in revolutionizing how women get receive health care and give birth. Because as a lot of us know, birth is traumatizing and women are treated like shit when they give birth a lot of the time. And so they are trying to... I'll be honest, that. by the way, watching the birthing sequences in this, like, why do people do this? <laughs> it was my immediate response because I was like, this is trauma. Yeah. So like, the, there's a lot of birth. And when I say birth, I mean like close-ups of heads, heads coming, coming out, out of vaginas, vaginas and like C-sections happening. So like... It's really gross, which I love because it's like not really, it's not body horror, but it like leans into the horrors of having the female body because this is a very femme coded femme energy series. The first, the movie is very much about like the foreignness of the vagina and the fear of the vagina. And it's like, oh my God. I'm a man and I don't understand the vagina and giving pleasure to women. But here, all of the characters are women and like the male characters are like sidekick himbo kind of like no don't really have much of a role um except for one guy but he's like kind of an idiot and the rest of these characters are complicated messy queer women there's a lot of queer women in this mm-hmm. there's a lot of Rachel Weiss, Weiss eating pussy there's a lot, and it's terrible. Steve, we should have we should have went from pussy to this. I know, I ah! know, but and but at the same time, it also captures like the toxic codependent relationship that Beverly and Elliot, the Mantle Twins, have with one another, and it's just like super. It's weird because they just are taking like these movie making it into a series and i've seen a lot of people say it's not successful uh i love this fucking fucking shit i think it's so good i think it matches the tone and the weird disjointedness of the original film really well because a lot of what i love about dead ringers is it is kind of like what exactly is real what is happening and the series captures that and it's really weird and things don't make a lot of sense but i kind of obsessed with that and Karen Kusama directs episode five, which is my favorite episode, which I'm which I'm very happy about. And I just think it's incredible that this exists and that we have so many queer gay women being messy, angry little bitches who are trying to, like, become God. And it's really hot. (laughs) I don't know if I like the show or if I just want to fuck the show, but like... I don't know, man. There's something about this show that, like, gets me on a deep primordial level. And I don't know what that says about me because I hate birth. But just, like, the way that it depicts womanhood and femininity and, like, different kinds of femininity. And, like, it has its problems. But I still love it. Like, it is very cis. It's very bioessentialist in terms of, like, women and vaginas. And, like, yeah, you can argue until you're blue in the face about, like, women give birth. But trans people also give birth so and like you know i just feel like there's so many things in the show that they touch on that i feel like you probably could have added that in just to be like see we are not sitting on this like kind of very white cis woman perspective but it is very squarely sitting in a cis white woman perspective and like a a privileged cis white woman perspective (laughs) incredibly so so like 
I very much acknowledge that. This movie is very white and very much about living in opulence because they kind of touch on it a little bit in episode five about like the sacrifices that black women have made. And I was like, okay, okay. And then it goes away. And I was like, all right, well, we kind of got there. And then we went back to like cis white women with a lot of money and a lot of opportunities. And like, yes, Genevieve, who is a love interest of Elliot, is a black woman, but there's a lot of really weird politics around that treatment as well. And so it's just, inter- it's interesting. I think it, I know that not every show can hit on everything, but I think with this statement it is trying to make, it feels very weird to have it be so centered in that perspective, if that makes sense. No, it does. Absolutely. I was actually kind of surprised when we're going through a bunch of birthing mono, uh, monologues, birthing uh, montages in the beginning that they were very cis focused. Like it was like, why, why aren't we at least showing the differences of, of pregnancy? Cause it, it's not just, yeah. You know, and like, vagina. yeah, it is like, it's like, it's not, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't think about that. It doesn't, it's very focused on like trying to be very like wealth, like exploiting the wealthy to do good, but it doesn't go far enough with yeah. that message. Because there's definitely a lot of whispers of that, but it, it doesn't fully commit to that stuff. I think that there's so much going on in this show and they really want to like foreground the struggles with Beverly and Elliot, but all of the things going on in the background are almost there, but they kind of get lost in like the weird subconscious stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And I think... Yeah, I just think it could have been handled much more delicately, but yeah, I'm I'm not finished with it yet. I'm um I think I'm on episode four. Or I just finished episode four. I can't remember which because I've been watching that as well as watching <laughs> two seasons of From, and I just as well as Panic Fest, and I just I don't have time, so I haven't finished it yet. Um, but I'm enjoying what I what I saw. I'm telling you, Rachel Weiss is phenomenal as both roles in this, like the way she's able to basically create two characters in this movie is, is stunning. Give her two Emmys. Thank you. I know she's incredible. Like it really is incredible to watch her. Like the way she has created these two very distinct characters and the way she's able to act with herself. Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary and very odd in a good way. Yeah. And and they do a good job of like inserting the two of them. So like, they do a, such a great job of having them both having both characters. It freaks on. me out. Yeah, it freaks me out weird. the way they do it. It's really, really bizarre. You would think that she is actually a twin. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this is like when I thought Lindsay Lohan actually had a twin and I didn't understand that you could do movie tricks. And I saw the parent trap when I was a child. <laughs> so this is the parent trap of, of Cronenberg movies, Cronenberg adaptations. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh my god, Cronenberg! Oh my god, Dead Ringers is Parent Trap for Grown Ups. That's the title of this episode. <laughs> Dead Ringers yes. is Parent Trap for Adults. Uh, on that incredible note, that that about does it that for this week's little cuts. Um, Terry, who are we chatting with on Monday? So on Monday we are chatting with Dutch Marich, the writer director of the Horror in the High Desert series, uh, the second one just came out on prime it's also at prime or to rent i think it might be out just to rent you think you have to you can rent it on prime but it's like 99 cents or something it's like super cheap it's worth it i promise you both of them are very worth it 
they are both really scared. good. They're both really scared. good. Um, and he brought with him Copycat, Sigourney Weaver, Holly Hunter, D- Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. Mulroney. Dermot Babyface Dermot. Um, Babyface all of them, honestly, but Babyface Dermot. It's a good movie. So cute. Good conversation. Dutch is a doll. And then what are we doing for Little Cuts next week, Mary Beth? Little Huts next week, we are going to finish covering festival films from Fantastic Fest and Alto Fantaspoa, which is a Brazilian film festival that I'm covering virtually, kind of. So, and then we'll probably have an announcement about our next series next week. We just have a lot of festivals and things to watch, and I I can't. I just don't have time. I can't put anything else on my plate, but there'll be plenty to talk about. But listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Have you seen any of these films that we've talked about and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for what our next series could be? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon where you can be watching this madness that just happened tonight unfold um, live or also in a video form. Or also you could listen, watch some Fresh Wounds. We dropped a Fresh Wounds episode on our main feed to um, kind of show you what we're about. Um, and hopefully you'll help support us. Please and thank you. Thank you, Derek Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please stay safe. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. scratchers to scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room.
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.